It is Easter Sunday, and so I don't give you a break from taking notes. Grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. Uh, if you'd like to download the Victory Church app, uh, if you're on your phone, I'm assuming you're downloading the Victory Church app. Uh, you can have a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes there as well. Excited for you if you want to follow along. I like fill-in-the-blank. It's just I like having the answers already ahead of time. And so if you want that, uh, you can take the notes there as well. Even if you don't like taking notes, jot some things down today as we study God's Word. Now, we have spent the last couple of weeks in a series called Road to the Cross. And we have studied Jesus' steps from two weeks out until Easter. We're two weeks before he goes to the cross. He comes across some people that you maybe would not place that close to Calvary. And so he comes across Zacchaeus, and he, it's right after he raises Lazarus from the dead. And the disciples are bickering and arguing. And then you have the two blind men coming out of Jericho, crying out to be healed. We saw the mercy of Christ, even as he's headed to give his life for the salvation of the world. Even as he's going to the worst moment of his existence on earth, he's headed to that moment He still takes time and he blesses and heals and pours into lives. He still takes time and teaches. He still takes time and has mercy and love. And so we looked at that two weeks out. And then we looked at a week out. We looked at the triumphant entry into Jerusalem on the donkey. Uh, We looked as he cleanses the temple a second time. And then as he goes uh, to the upper room for the Passover. And then as he's betrayed and goes to the garden. And then as he's sent to the sham trial before the Pharisees and he heads to Pilate and Pilate sends him to Herod and Herod sends him back to Pilate. And it's, it's all these steps towards the cross. And then Pilate beats him and berates him and ridicules him. And then he releases Barabbas because the crowd chants crucify him. And we read how he makes the march all the way to the place of the skull to hang on the cross for the salvation of the world. And next week, we're going to look at what the disciples do after Jesus is crucified and then raised to life and how they react. And then the week after, we're going to look at the early church. We're going to keep this going, just this chronological look. But today, I want to pause in the story. I want to take a look today. I want to pause one more story, one more encounter that Jesus has before he gives his life for the sins of the world. That that event that we celebrate on Easter, the death and the resurrection of Christ, there's one more story right before he gives his life, right before he says it's finished, right before he gives up his spirit. And I'm actually going to tell you two different stories this morning, two different stories about two sets of thieves. Now, one of the stories involves me, and I'll just get to that, but I want to ask you a couple of questions before I I have my public confession. One of the stories, and then one of them does not, but one just to preface the story uh, with a question this morning, and we'll just kind kind of just play along with me. It's no fun if you don't play along, but how many of you have ever gotten what you deserve? How many of you have ever actually gotten what you deserve? You can show of hands. We're going to have show of hands in just a moment, all right? We're getting to that where you guys can be a little bit honest in church. It's going to be amazing. But how many of you have actually gotten what you deserve? In college, I spent a portion of a semester studying abroad. And so uh, the way that works is you kind of, you pay your tuition money and then you pay travel money on top of that. And then you write a couple hundred pages and you go to England, Scotland or whatever it is. And they give you college credit. It is a money-making racket, everybody. That is what it is. It is thievery, and it's, that's not the thief, but that's the first one of the story, all right? And so I, I had spent this, this kind of these moments across. And so I had my roommate, they assigned me for this trip. I had never met before in my entire life. And so this morning, I'm going to call him Stephen because that's his name. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and I have used some, some traits of Stephen before, but I want to use him in a whole different light today, all right? And before you ask, unlike my children, Stephen does not get $5 when I tell a story about him, all right? Cause, and you'll see why in just a moment. So one of the great moments of the trip, though, 
One of the great moments that we had was to visit Hadrian's Wall. It's this incredible fortification across Britain. Uh, It survived the test of time. It's like 2,000 years old. Incredible, even to this day, to go to large sections of the wall that have survived. And so we spent kind of the whole day there. It was kind of a highlight of the early part of the trip. And it was all great. And so we got back to our rooms that night and we got ready to go to sleep because we had another big day the next day coming up until Stephen opened up his backpack. And from his bag, he lifted this half brick that he had managed to chisel out of Hadrian's wall. And when I saw this like 20 pound piece of rock, I just began to imagine what the inside of a British prison cell looks like. I just began to, like I began to think we are going down for this. Like I could see the guards with the funny hats. I could just taste the food, right? It was just this, this moment as I saw this, but it didn't matter because thus began Stephen's great pillage of the British empire. Because it didn't matter where we went, be it monastery, be it, you know, cathedral, be it small island, be it whatever museum, whatever it was, anywhere we went that night, Stephen would empty his pockets of whatever ancient architectural artifact that he had stolen from that day until day 15. Come on, somebody. Because day 15, we visited a little monastery on a little island that had a little museum that had a little museum director. Come on, somebody. You just had to be there. And on day 15, Stephen went a little bit too far because in this museum, he saw a little stick egg replica of something that he just could not live without. And so in the boldness of repetition, all you thieves say amen. In the boldness of repetition, he stretched out his arm to take this item right under the nose of the museum curator. And so I, my goody-goody-two-shoe self, was on the other side of the museum, come on, just looking at whatever it is they wanted me to look at, when I heard the museum director begin to shout. And then I heard one of our professors begin to shout, and then everybody started to shout. It was amazing. It was a great moment. You can imagine the pandemonium on that uh, that thing. And let me just ask our first question a little bit differently. Have you ever cheered for someone to get what they deserve? Because I know you're all holy people and you just love humanity and all that stuff. But if you're like me, there's this dark little part of you that enjoys seeing like you're driving down the road at the speed limit and somebody just flies past you in the emergency lane and pulls back. And then like two miles down the road, you see the whoop, whoop and see him pulled over. And I promise you, every single one of you are not like, Lord, bless that person. Lord, just say, you're like, you got what you deserve. I think there's a German word for it, right? Schadenfreude, something like that, that you just take pleasure in. It's it's in every single one of us. I'm not repenting for that, everybody, all right? Have you ever cheered for that? Because I remember that night. I remember sitting with Stephen that night because after the cops were called and the professors got involved, I'm pretty sure like the queen got a phone call. I don't know. Like I'm, after that night, I remember somebody up the British chain of command must have remembered what it was like to be a stupid 18-year-old in another country because for some reason, Stephen was allowed to live. And after some like minor restitution, Stephen was allowed to finish the trip. Now, whether that was good or bad, I'll let you decide because it ended with him sleepwalking and almost throwing the both of us off of a 12-story building. And so that was just a whole other. So I didn't approve of that decision. But somehow they let Stephen finish. But I remember that night sitting with him in our room. And I remember his face when he realized what could have happened. What they could have held him accountable for. So let me go back and ask our question one more time, a little bit differently. Have you ever not been given what you deserve? If you ever not been given, because as we celebrate Easter today, I want to draw your attention back to the fact that so many times 
in the ministry of Jesus. So many times, even in just the two weeks that we have studied in these last, so many, many times there were so many people around Jesus who deserved something bad, but because of the grace and mercy of Jesus, he did not give them what they deserved. Because of the grace of him, he did not give them. A woman caught in adultery who deserved rejection and condemnation, and Jesus gave her mercy. Zacchaeus, you sing the cute little song, we little man, he's hiding in the tree, we have the little felt, and we talk about the story. Extortionist, everybody. Incredible sinner, incredible pariah of his community, deserved rejection, and Jesus gave him acceptance, even went to his house. Peter, who failed time after time after time after time, continued to fail and fail, deserved rejection and denies Jesus. Deserved to be outcast, deserved not to be a part of the king, deserved all those things, and yet Jesus gave him another chance so many times. And so today we're going to look at one more story of someone who actually deserved death. Not just condemnation, not just rejection, not just these ideas. He actually deserved death, but because of the mercy of Jesus, he gave him life Instead, I want to set up our story with one thought for today, one thought for Easter. And that is all of us, all of us have broken God's laws. Every single one of us, yourself included, myself included, all of us are guilty of breaking God's laws. Every single one. And I'll just prove it to you. All right. So right now, this is another show of hands because we're just going to have a great time of working together this Easter. Another show of hands. All the flack that I have given Stephen. But how many of you have ever stolen or taken something that did not belong to you. Come on, show of hands. It's no fun if you don't. Both hands. Steve, show us both your hands right now. Just say, right? I mean, if you have ever taken something that did not belong to you. How many have taken something in the last 10 minutes that did not belong to you? How many have taken something that did not belong? And by the way, be honest in church, because if you are lying in church, you are a liar and a thief. And so ushers come forward and remove these people that are amazing. I mean, it's stolen something. You're probably a cheater too, so welcome to victory. So I just want to make you feel good about yourself, all right? If you've ever stolen something once, let me show you a verse that applies directly to you. And nobody likes this verse, but we're going to read it on Easter. James chapter 2. It says, for the person, that's all of you, for the person, and myself included. My hands are both up, by the way. For the person who keeps all of the laws, except how many? Except one. For the person, watch this. If we just read this first part, you are thinking, this is Mother Teresa. This is like the great, for the person who keeps all of the laws, except one, is as guilty as a person who has broken how many? All of God's laws. Nobody likes that verse. You're like, I'm trying really hard here, and you're going to bring this up. Like, I'm really trying. I'm dead. But listen to it. It says that we've broken one of the In other words, if you lusted just one time, if you cheated just one time, if you lied one time, if you stole just one time, then you are as guilty in the eyes of God as if you had broken all of God's laws. And so let's take the equation a little bit further, because now I've convinced you we are all guilty of breaking God's law. So what is the price for that? Romans 6 tells us what the cost of breaking God's law is, or the payment we have to pay when we do that. It says, for the wages of sin is death. So we all have sinned. We've all broken God's laws. The wages of it, the thing we have to pay, is we deserve to die. In other words, we understand this. We have all sinned against God, and we all deserve death. Happy Easter, everybody. It's amazing. Just... <laughs> But the good news, because of the grace of God, he does not give us what we deserve. Luke 23, we're going to look at another story of two thieves. 
Another story of them, we're going to see Jesus actually on the cross in between them. Hanging on the cross. And here's what Luke says. It says, two other men, both criminals, were led out with Jesus to be executed. So two men, both criminals. And when they came to the place called the skull, Golgotha, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right and the other on his left. Now, before we get to the next part of the story, let me just talk a little bit to you about crucifixion. Because in the time of Jesus, crucifixion was one of the ways to publicly execute somebody in the time that Jesus lived. One of the ways. And it happened to be the most expensive. And the reason it was the most expensive is to pull this thing off, you needed minimum four Roman soldiers and a centurion in order to keep track of everything that was happening. And the crucifixion normally would last several days. And so your expense on manpower alone was extremely high. And you would think, well, why would they keep doing it? They kept doing it, the Roman officials kept crucifying people because they reserved it for those they wanted to make an example of. The ones whose crimes were so heinous, the ones that were so distasteful, the ones that they wanted to make publicly humiliated, they would spend all of the money, all of the manpower, all the resources in order to crucify them. We should tell you a little bit about the people hanging next to Jesus. Should tell you that because we don't know exactly what they did. A couple of gospels record a couple of different details about them, but we know that the Greek word for what they did, like these aren't pickpockets, all right? Theft is like the least of their crimes. And what I want you to understand is today, these are very guilty people. I think sometimes we just try to gloss over it and we're like just, you know, the little pickpockets next to Jesus. And these are guilty as guilty can be. That the leaders of the day, the rulers, spend extra money just to more publicly humiliate these two and to hang them next to Jesus. And the reason it's so painful and humiliating, they would take them and they would strip them naked. And they'd crucify them in the most public place on the road into the city. And they would beat them and crucify them on the cross. And they would bake in the sun. And so they would begin to go mad from the days laying in the sun. And then they would put the nails through their hands and through the wrist and their feet until they would honestly suffocate from hanging and not being able to pull themselves up to breathe. And if you were lucky, if you were lucky, a few days into it, they would come and they would beat your knees with a rod so that you were no longer able to push yourself up. That's if they had mercy on you. And so at this moment, Jesus is crucified between two thieves. You can imagine how horrible this would have been. And so we see them there in this horrible situation. Don't take it out of the context. Verse 39, in this incredibly, incredibly painful moment. Verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there with him hurled insults at him. What did he say? We know some of what. It's probably not all that he said. All right, because if we knew all of it, it probably wouldn't be in the Bible. So we, he said, one of them hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. That's my angry criminal voice. All right, so work with me. That's the best I've got. But the other criminal, watch this. So this other guy who's on the first one's hurling blasphemies at Jesus. The other one who's on the other side, he rebukes the first criminal. So he's piping back at the first guy. He says, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. Watch this, guys. This guy's going through the most painful moment in his ease in this incredibly excruciating, humiliating moment. And watch what he says. He says, but we are being punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. Don't miss this guy's mindset. 
The first guy is just hurling insults and blasphemies and crying. And the second guy, he said, we are getting what we deserve. But this man, referring to Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And what I want to submit to you gently and humbly is just suggest to you this morning that spiritually speaking, every single one of us are one of these two thieves. Spiritually speaking, from a spiritual and actually in the eyes of God, we are one of these two thieves. And what I want to do is look one more time at this moment, at the words that they say, at the way that they acted, the way that Jesus responds, and let you decide this morning which one of these two thieves you are. Let's look again at verse 39. He's hanging there. He's hurling insults at Jesus. One gospel, he's blaspheming. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And if you know the rest of the story, something that struck me this weekend, I'd never read it before until I read this verse this weekend and realized this, is he is sarcastically saying what we celebrate the second thief for saying. He's sarcastically saying, he's saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. And he's, he's, and what do we know about this guy? One, he is obviously sarcastic. Two, he is being a smart aleck. Three, he is blaspheming in this moment. Four, he is unrepentant in this thing. What do we know about this guy? He is, if there's anything about God that he wants, he's like, okay, if you're really Jesus Savior guy, then come on, do something. If you're really this big, come on, show us what you got. I, I did a wedding one time a few years ago. I think it's been two years now. And uh, it was raining on the wedding day. And I remember the bride's mother, she looked at me and she was like, come on, preacher man, come on, like do something. <laughs> and I remember being like, no, I'm in sales, not, not management. I'm <laughs> when this guy's looking at Jesus and he's like, come on, do something. If you're really Jesus, if you, and uh, quite honestly, a lot of people approach God in the same way. Like, okay, all right, all right. If there really is a hell and there is a heaven or whatever, okay, I'll say the stupid little prayer. I'll check the box. I'll show up to whatever class you have. I'll get baptized. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Just whatever I got to do, just so I can get something. If it's really true, if it's not whatever, I just, I'll just show up. I'll just do whatever thing. I'll do whatever it is to get stuff with an entitled mindset. If you ask me to summarize this guy in one word, this thief, I would say he's unrepentant. You jot it down if you're taking notes. I would say he's unrepentant. This guy's not recognizing any guilt. He's not recognizing, I haven't done anything wrong. This isn't right what's happening to me. This isn't, thing. come on, Jesus, make this thing work. I haven't done anything worthy of this. He's not owning up to his sinfulness. He's not, he's not done anything wrong in his mind. He's critical. He doesn't fear God. He's unrepentant. The second thief, though, equally guilty. I want to just drive that point home. Equally guilty as the first. He has a different perspective when he says in verse 40, he says, don't you fear God? Don't you even have a shred? Equally guilty, hanging on the same kind of cross at the same moment for the same crime. Right there, equally guilty. He says, don't you fear God? For we are being punished, our sentence, and he owns his sin. He says, we're punished justly for what our deeds deserve. In other words, we broke the law. In other words, we actually deserve this, but this guy, Jesus, he's innocent. He doesn't deserve it. And I'm going to summarize a second. I'm going to tell you, yes, he is guilty. There's no doubt about that part. We're not trying to gloss over that. As guilty as he can be, but then he is also humble and broken. If I gave you one word for the second thief, it would be repentant. First thief, unrepentant. Second thief, repentant. First thief saying, well, okay, well, if you really are the Messiah, and I don't really believe, just sarcastic, whatever, then save us. Do something. Show us. Second thief, we deserve what we are getting. 
But this man has done nothing wrong. Even though he's not perfect, he is repentant. He knows he needs mercy. He knows he needs help. He knows that he has screwed it up. And let me tell you why this is important. We live in a world today where culture has significantly shifted. Where just 20 years ago, people would have admitted, okay, yeah, it's a sin. You can call me a sinner. What I'm doing is a sin. Just, I'm going to keep doing it, but yeah, whatever. The church thinks it's a sin. The Bible says, it's okay, it's a sin. I'm a sinner. To where now it has been significant shifting where it is, don't call what I'm doing a sin. Don't you say that I'm a bad person. Don't say that I'm a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I'm just doing, I have issues. That's a sinner over there. I have issues that I have worked. Don't you call what I am doing sin. I'm not a bad person. Don't you kind of do it? Because listen, when we do that, we're comparing ourselves to other people instead of to God. Because listen to me, you compare yourself to other people, I guarantee you, you will come out looking like a rose, everybody. You will come out. In fact, probably right now, you are sitting next to somebody who's a way worse sinner than you are. Come on, somebody. Like some of you right now are like, I'm not a bad person. I'm sitting next to a really bad person. That's who said, I'm not a bad person. In fact, elbow him. Say, you make me feel really good about myself. Just go ahead and tell him. <laughs> Happy Easter, everybody. This is... The <laughs> It's not sin. This is a really sinful. I'm not a sin. In fact, but let's go back to all of us have broken God's law. Every single one of us. And we compare ourselves to other people instead of to the standard of God. Because we know what would happen if we compared ourselves to the standard of God. And listen to me. It's so important that we do compare ourselves to God's word and to his standard. Because listen, until we see our sin, until we come aware of the sin in our life, not the Little, little plank or stick that's in our brother's eye, but the plank that is running out of our own. Until we are aware of our sin, we will never see our need for salvation. Until we see the sin in our own lives. Let me tell you what the difference is so important between these two. Unrepentant and repentant. The second thief, he saw his sin. Equally guilty, equally punished under the law, hanging on a cross. But in that moment, he saw what he had done. And he compared himself. He saw himself in comparison. Jesus had done nothing. Jesus was perfect. And he saw himself side by side, hanging on a cross. And he realized in that moment, he said, we are getting what our deeds deserve. That moment we've fallen short of God's standard. Listen to me. Until we see our sin, until we come to recognition of it, we will never see our need for salvation. Until we see it. But the moment we recognize we've fallen short of God's standard... That is when we become a candidate for his grace. That is when we become, if you are unrepentant, if you are arrogant, if you are full of pride, and so many people unfortunately today are more like thief number one. I haven't done anything. Don't call it sin. I haven't messed up, but more like thief number two. If you say, yeah, I realize I screwed this whole thing up. I realize I'm full of sin. I'll illustrate it this way. Until you see the sin in your life, you won't see your need for a savior. One more time. We're going to cooperate together. One more time. How many of you, let me just illustrate it. How many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket? I talk about this all the time. How many, come on. Yeah, there we go. A bunch of sinners in church. Here we go. Law breaking stuff. We're going to install speed bumps out here. Cause I've seen all of you drive and it is incredible. How many in the last 24 hours you have gotten a speed ticket? Anybody? <laughs> we have a special service for you afterwards. We'll just pray. My sister Jennifer got a ticket two weeks ago. Come on somebody. I'll just... <laughs> heading to one of our kids soccer games come on somebody for a great reason got a speed ticket going between a baseball game and a soccer game got pulled over over here in central Dennisbury. and so just amazing she showed up to the game and she looked at me with the dirtiest because i am the speeder in the family all right i am the one 
<laughs> and she looked and she said, she said, you know, the only difference between you and me is I got caught. And I was like, that's unbiblical, but that'll preach. That's about right, right there. That's what that, <laughs> I speed all the, and so if you're wondering where her $5 is, she can put it towards her ticket. Come on, somebody, it's going to be good. <laughs> I got pulled over one time, though, up in the great state of Virginia. I got I speed all over the United States, but I got pulled over in Virginia. Uh, I had to go to traffic court with all of you losers and had to go sit in up there uh, in Whitfield, Virginia. I had a great time. I had to go up to Whitfield, Virginia to go to traffic court. The problem, though, is the speed that I was clocked actually took me out of the speeding ticket category and into the Class C felony arena. Come on, somebody. (laughs) It's just a good time to confess things in church. It's, it's amazing time. And so in Baton Rouge, we just call it normal flow of traffic up there. I don't know what to tell you. All right? I just don't know. But I went to traffic court up there with my Uncle Ronnie, who lives in Marion, Virginia. Now, let me just preface this saying, if you don't have an angel named Uncle Ronnie, you need one. All right. You got to get one. You just got to get one in your life because I'm shaking head to toe. I'm a lot younger. I'm, I'm terrified because I have read online that what this offense is carries up to $5,000 fine and two years in prison. Come on, somebody. And I am thinking, a lot of my stories have prison. I need to check on that. I gotta, <laughs> as I said it, I realized. Uh, I'll look into that later. All right. But I remember I got there about an hour early uh, with my Uncle Ronnie. He's got me outside the courthouse about an hour before I'm supposed to be there looking for the policeman who pulled me over. Now, listen to me. He's like, is it him? Is it him over there? Is it? Listen, the last person in the world that I want to see is the policeman that pulled me over. But I point him out and Ronnie hauls me over there and he stands me in front of this guy. He makes the introduction. Yeah, I'm, I'm Ronnie. This is my nephew. You caught him blowing through your county and he just wants you to know he's an idiot and he will never do it again. And then he looked at me. Now, listen, I had stayed up for like two weeks every night concocting and inventing things that I could say to prove why I was going the speed I was going. My tires were oversized, so I just didn't understand. I'm from Baton Rouge. I've never seen hills before in my life. I just don't know what, like my speedometer was made in Louisiana. It doesn't work up here with you people. I don't know. Like I I come up with all of these things, but listen to me in that moment. You want to know the angel that Uncle Ronnie is in that moment. That policeman did not need to hear the excuses he had heard 10,000 times in his career. He didn't need to hear all that. And so I just said, yes, sir, I'm an idiot. I made a big mistake. I'll never do it again. And now he didn't give me any words of reading. He just said, okay, go in there, say you're guilty, and I'll see what I can do. And so we went in. Now, if you have never been in traffic court, goody, goody, two shoes that you are, you sit and you watch everybody's trial that goes before you. Everybody goes up before the judge and they make their declaration. And so we sat and we had a great time watching because person after person went in front of the judge and did what I had stayed up all night planning to do. Isn't that my fault? How could I be? It's not the sign was not clear. I had to pee. I had to go faster. They clocked me at 95, but I could not have been going over 30, judge. All these, they went before him, excuse after excuse after excuse until the judge finally said, workman. And so I went up on myself right there. I went and stood before him, dressed up more nicely than I am now. Come on, somebody. I was <laughs> dressed to the T, stood before him. And he said, okay, workman. And he read out my charge and he said, okay, what's your story? And I had a moment, I had a moment that I was going to call an audible and be like speedometer, tires, like excuses. I would be like, forget you, Uncle Ronnie. I'm taking this thing by the horns. I got this. I had that moment. But all I said was, Your Honor, yeah, I screwed up. I'm an idiot, but I did the speed that it said I did. 
And he said, I have a note here. And he had this little post-it thing. He was like, I got a note here. Officer, you have a recommendation? And he said, yes, Your Honor. I recommend we drop the felony offense. We change the clock speed and we take it off his record. And the judge said, done. Mr. Wagner, you're free to go. I am dancing out of that courtroom. I am pointing at all those other people who are paying their fines and doing this. I am, I am Uncle Ronnie's. I'm, the birds are singing. The sun is brighter somehow. Breakfast at Hardy's. Eggs taste better. It's just amazing. It's like I, in this moment, because listen to me, I was guilty. I did the speed that they got. Actually, I was going a little bit faster than they clocked me at. I did what they said I had done. I was completely guilty. Don't get it twisted. I was as guilty as anybody else in that courtroom. But a judge said, you can go free. And I tell you all of that to let you know if you are arrogant and full of pride, full of excuses to justify why you have done what you have done, our God looks at you and says, I can't help you. If you are so full of excuses and pride to say, I haven't, I, this is, I, our God looks and says, but if you come to him and repentant and say, I have sinned. I screwed this whole thing up. I am an idiot and I have messed it all up. Then you become a candidate for his grace. At that moment when you are repentant, here's what's so amazing to me about this story. And this blows my mind. Jesus was hanging on the cross between two equally guilty people. Both equally deserved death. Both were receiving what their deeds deserved. Both of them equally guilty. And both men saw and heard the exact same things during their faithful last hours. Saw the exact, they both had the exact same opportunity. They both were suffering and they both had a moment and an opportunity right next to Jesus. And one of them missed it. And one of them didn't. They both had the exact same, and it, it, it kept me up praying this entire weekend because the same exact thing would happen this morning. The same exact moment that there's going to be two people sitting right next to each other in this church today, sitting right next to each other, singing the same songs, hearing the same message, being in the same exact moment. And one of them is going to get it. One of them's going to miss it. That right now, sitting right now, one person is going to hear about the grace of Jesus and respond. And one person is going to be like thief number one. Thief number one, stupid religion. I don't need all that stuff. I'm not a bad person. Don't tell me I've got sin in my life. Don't. I'm just waiting for lunch. Like I just came here because they promised me Easter lunch, and so I'm just showing up to church. Stupid. I'm not getting right next to them. Right next to them is going to be somebody more like thief number two, saying, "Yeah, I screwed it up. Okay, I'm seeing it now. Yeah, I did that. I, I know. I'm not trying to make excuses for it. I know I did it." And that second person, the good news of the gospel is that second person is going to cry out to Jesus and be forgiven, made new, changed, redeemed. That right now you have a moment. Because the second thief, I want to show you this. He deserved death, all right? We have established he deserved it. But Jesus gave him life. And the reason I get so fired up about that is his story is my story. And if you are a follower of Christ, his story is your story. Because watch this. I want to show it to every single one of us. The way Jesus forgives him is so powerful. It so illustrates God's grace that if this does not lead you to the love of God, I, I don't know what will. Watch this. He says, Jesus... And I want to read this because I think if we read it too quickly, you might miss it. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Did you catch it? 
Let me read it again, all right, in case you missed it. All right, watch the second thief. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's it. That's the whole thing. There's not some like eloquent and high old master of the galaxies and the skies, maker of the waters and the seas and great father, holy son, spirit thing. Please help me and cast thy eyes upon that. No scripted, no eloquent, no nothing. As simple Jesus, remember me. The repentant thief is sitting on the cross, same moment as the other one, but he looks at Jesus and he just cried in his agony, in his pain, in the worst moment that he's ever come to. And he just says, Jesus, remember me. He cries out, just remember me. And watch what Jesus, as he says, answers him. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This guy who deserved Death and Jesus gave him life. This is the purest illustration of Ephesians 2. You will find anywhere in the entire Bible. Watch what it says. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Watch this. Everybody, not by, not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's by grace, for not by works so that anybody could boast. By the grace of God you have been saved. Listen to me, everybody. You are not made right with God by anything but Jesus on the cross. You are not made right with God by anything but the grace of God through faith. You are not made right with God because you are a good person. You are not made right with God because you try to do a bunch of good deeds. You are not made right with God because you come to church. Come on, somebody. You are not made right with God because you give a bunch of money. You're not made right with God because you try to do it. You're not made right with God because you don't curse on the golf course. Come on, somebody. You just thought you probably need God's grace to keep yourself from doing that. You are not made right with God because you do a bunch of good things that you have heaped up in your life. You are not made right with God by being a religious person. You are made right with God by grace through faith. Not by works, not by anything else. Listen to me. The greatest illustration you can imagine of this is this thief on the cross. He couldn't do any good works. I remind you, his hands were bound to the cross. He couldn't come to church on Easter morning. He was stuck on the cross. He couldn't dry, he couldn't heap up good. He couldn't hurry up and do all of these things. Couldn't give a bunch of money. He's dying on a cross. He couldn't do any of those things. All he could do in his repentance is look at Jesus and say, remember me. And grace, the grace that God gives. And if that doesn't draw you to the love of God, I can't imagine what would. The grace of God. Listen to me, his grace. He couldn't turn over a new leaf. He is dying, everybody. And when I look at that story, suddenly so many other verses come to life. Suddenly Psalms 103 means something more to me. Watch this for it. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. Listen, every single one of us deserve death. You're not like, well, I was good enough, so maybe I just deserve a slap. Every single one of us deserves death. And he says, but God does not give us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That he does not treat us as we deserve. Listen to me, that he did not treat me as my sins deserve. And he did not treat that I deserve death, but because of Jesus, he gave me life. Watch this in Titus. It says, but when the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared in the person of Jesus Christ, he saved us. 
He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done. That can speak to so many people who think, well, I've been in church for 150 years and I've heaped up enough things that I'm going to open that door of heaven wide with all that. It says he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Listen to me, everybody. We are saved not because how good we are, but because of the mercy of God. We are saved because of his mercy, not because I am good, because he is good. That he has saved us. That is the heart of the gospel. We don't earn it. We could never be good enough for it. But by the grace of God, he has given it to us freely. And on that cross, Jesus paid the price for sin, hell, death, and the grave. And listen to me. He has saved us. And listen, and he loves us. That he loves you. And because he loves you so much, he sent Jesus. Who did, not, who did not equate equality with God as something to be grasped. But instead humbled himself, lowered himself to become as low as a servant. Because he loves you so much, became a servant, obedient even to death on a cross. Imagine our Savior God in the flesh on a cross. When he should have been sitting on a throne and yet he sat and hung on a cross. When he should have had a crown of gold and yet he had a crown of thorns. When he should have been surrounded by servants and praise and adulation and said he was surrounded by thieves. And yet he didn't count. He didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself. How much more so, church? Because of the grace of God. And while he was innocent, the Bible says, while we were still sinners... Don't get this twisted. Christ didn't come to die for good people. There are no good people. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ didn't come to die because we had said sorry just enough to get him to come. Christ didn't come to die because he thought, okay, they're, they're good enough. They've, they've reached the threshold now. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still lost, Christ came to find us. While we were still drowning in our sins, Christ reached down his head. He came to bring us back to the Father. Christ, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And listen to me, he loves you. He loves you. The Bible says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, God does not hold our sins against us. And Jesus taking on the sin of the world, taking on your sin, taking on my sin. My sin. Stretched on a cross, beaten and brutally, mutilated, set out in the... Don't, don't get it washed away. Don't, don't think that it's just some easy going, whatever. We can just tell a simple story and it just happened. It, brutally mutilated, hanging on a cross for your sin and for mine. It says he looked to heaven and he cried out with a voice. He has saved one more, one more he looked as close to his death as you can get. And he looks at this thief and he says, today you'll be with me. He looks and he gives grace and mercy. And then he looks to the heavens and he cries out, it is finished. It's finished. I did what you called me to do. I, I ran the race that I was supposed to run. I, I did the things into your hands. I commit my spirit and he breathed his last. It is finished. The weight of the world on his shoulders, the weight of our sin the rejection, the humiliation, the desolation in our Savior hung on the cross and he cries out, it is finished, it is finished. 
And he gave up his spirit and the crown shook. And the skies grew dark and the whole earth began. And it says that the centurion cried out and he said, surely this was the son of God. And at that darkest moment in humanity, when all of us thought it was over, heaven knew it was just getting started. Come on, somebody. Because three days later, when they went to that tomb, and the Bible says they had brought all their spices and they prepared all their things. And they went to that tomb to grieve and to mourn and to prepare. That when they went there, it said three days later, the stone was rolled away because the tomb was that Christ was not there because he was risen from the dead. And in that one act, in that one act, he took the keys of hell, sin, death, and the grave forevermore. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? It's swallowed up in the victory of Christ that our Savior has risen and that he has forgiven our sins and made us right with God. Listen to me, everybody. Don't miss the miracle of Easter. That Christ has raised from the dead, that he goes before us, that he is forever making intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. That he has saved us, not because we are good, but because of his great mercy. That he loves us, that he has saved us, that once and for all defeated death. Watch this, that's why our verse that we started with, Romans 6, it says, the wages of sin is death. I think we have declared that pretty clearly today. That you deserve death, that I deserve death. But watch the second part of that verse. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. At the gift of God, that because of Jesus, and I thank my God in heaven, that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, he does not treat me as my sins deserve. He does not treat me as my sins. He does not judge me according to my actions, but he sees the grace of Jesus on my life. Therefore, 1 Peter says, I say praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that in his great mercy, he has given us new birth, that in his great mercy, he has looked on us, that in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus can be saved, that we praise him for that. That he has given us new birth and a living hope, not because of what we have done, but through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's why we gather, by the way, with billions of Christians around the world. And we celebrate today that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. That the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Let's give celebrate what God has done. Bow your heads as we pray today. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you that he has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so, Lord, we pray right now that all around the world, people right now would be different because of the grace and the love and the mercy of our Savior. And so right now, church, as we pray on this Easter Sunday, those of you who are in the room, those of you who are followers of Christ, you know what he has done for you. Right now as we pray, just continue to give him thanks. Right where you're sitting, just continue to lift up praise and thanks for what he has done for us. We thank you, God, for the sacrifice. We celebrate together. Just take a moment this Easter church, just praise him for what he has done, that he set you free, that he saved you, that he doesn't hold your sins against you, that you are forgiven, that he changed your course. Others of you, you're here with us on Easter and you're maybe watching online or you're here in the room. And maybe for the first time in your life, you're realizing, yeah, I am a little bit like the thief on the cross. And maybe for the first time, you're beginning to see your sin for what it is. 
You begin to realize that all of us have sinned. That just because someone looks good on the outside, just they heaps a bunch, a bunch of good works or righteous deeds. No, no, no. The Bible says we are all sins. And maybe you're seeing that for the first time. And maybe you're realizing and recognizing that you are one of these two thieves. You want to know the good news? You want to know the good news of this story? And that is you get to choose which one you want to be. In this moment, right now, nobody's looking around. Nobody's, I'm not in this to embarrass you. I'm saying right now, you get to choose which one of these thieves you want to be. And I'm just praising God that right now you can be thief number two. Some of not you, right now you reckon I have done wrong. I, I was a thief. I sinned in more ways than I even want to describe. And I recognize I need forgiveness. It's that simple. It's that easy. I recognize, I know that I have sinned. I know I screwed it up. I know I've messed this whole thing and I know that I need forgiveness for my, it's that simple. Some of you can choose right now to be thief too. And then in your repentance, you turn and you say, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. And when you do, listen to me, when you do, he has promised to make you a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. He has promised to change you, transform you, set you free. That in this moment, you can make that decision. Quite honestly, that's why a whole lot of you are here today. I can just be honest with you as a pastor, if I can just give you my heart. It's why you're in this place today. It's why you're watching online for this moment. That you would see it, because listen, a whole bunch of you are going to be sitting side by side right now. And one person is going to be like thief number one. I don't need that. I'm, I, I'm just, and one person is going to be like thief number two and cry out, yeah, I have sinned. I have messed up. I do need Jesus. I do need forgiveness. And you recognize in that moment, you recognize the, yeah, uh, I need salvation. And listen to me, the person on your left and the person on the right, they can make their own decisions. But this morning, you get to choose. You get to choose. And I cannot think of a better Sunday than Easter to make a decision to follow Christ. That that salvation he gave to the thief on the cross, that salvation that so many have found in Jesus Christ, that is available to you right now. There's not extra things. There's not this and put this in and all this equation. And then you are saying, no, right now you can make a decision that will change the course of your eternity. And I am begging you, do not leave this moment without making the decision. You're more like the first thief or more like the second. If you're more like the second, you say, yeah, that's me. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not going to make you raise you. I'm not in this to embarrass you in front of your friends or family. I want to let you make a decision to follow Jesus. There are other moments in our church at baptism where you make that declaration to the church. Right now, you have to decide. And so we're going to pray this with you. But that's your prayer of the thief on the cross. Jesus, remember me. So church, let's pray this with every single person, in person or online, every person who wants to make this decision. Let's pray this prayer with them. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I repent of all my sin. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose again. 
and I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church, one more time. Can we celebrate the miracle of Easter? Hey, church, be blessed as you go. You're dismissed this morning. Have an incredible Easter Sunday. We'll see you next week.